Thank you, Karen. If ever you need to know the Holy Spirit is here, what Karen just prayed is partly what I'm going to preach, so thank you. One of the things I want to speak about this morning is God breathing on us. So welcome, good to see you all. And uh, this morning, <clears throat> I felt like the Lord wanted us to invite us into and encourage us into living as the true you. As the true you. You see, the world is, at this time, ramping up its effort to define you and me and is wanting to force us into a way of living that fits its agenda. There's pressure from the world to cause us to respond to its pressure to be its shape. To the extent that there are many voices calling loudly and deliberately for a shape to society that doesn't seem, to me at least, or to many, to fit into our worldview as we understand it from the Word of God. And so there's a battle on for the basics right now. We're even being told that we're fluid in gender. It depends entirely how you feel. These are the things that are being promoted by the world right now. Also that how you choose to live and love is a free choice and like gender fluidity is also not defined in any way by any set of established criteria either proven by time or science or God's word. It's like free choice, however you want to see it. Family shape is under threat. And children are being more and more seen as trophies in a relationship rather than a gift of God to be nurtured into the future of caring for a relationship with God. It's a scary time if we listen to the world. Some people are wanting to have children in same-sex relationships. Now, biologically, that can't happen. I have a niece who I saw last night who lives in a same-sex relationship who was six months pregnant. I said, how did that happen? I just thought it was a reasonable question. I wasn't judging. I was just going, this confounds me. There are many more basic building blocks of society that are being attacked by the world to change us into a people of the world, not a people of the word. And I believe that as Christians, we need to understand that we are in this battle right now. We are being challenged to become a people of the world, not a people of the word. Or am I the only one hearing this news at the moment? Is this something that you're identifying with? You see, there's a battle on. And right now, I believe we need to discuss and discern the truth for ourselves and our families of what's life about? What's life for? Is it for our pleasure and enjoyment? Or is there a, a bigger agenda somewhere, a greater plan than what I think I want and how will I make myself happy in this life? That's what's being promoted as what needs to be sought. How do we engage with a search for the truth and how we're meant to be and be able to hold on to that in this turmoil of teaching that's coming at us from all sides in the world today? <clears throat> it's important that as Christians, I believe, it's important for us to be able to point to our basis for living the way we do 
for the sake of the world. So that we can say, I live this way because, and that it does confront the world. It does confront the word from the world that wants to try to undermine the truth of the word. A month ago I shared in a message that the key difference and identifier of a Christian is that we have peace, a serenity of our, in our soul that only as a Christian can we enjoy, only as a Christian can we receive. The world cannot find it and yet that is what the world is chasing after. I pointed out at that time <clears throat> that when we are sure of our relationship status with God and through the Holy Spirit being in us, peace which equals a freedom from anxiety, becomes our lot. This peace comes not from living in a world of calm and order, but having calm and order in ourselves because we have the one who is the one who brings calm and order in us, namely Jesus. So what is life meant to involve as a way of living? First, know who God says you are. That's a good starting point. In the beginning, we read in, Revela in uh, Revelation, that's at the other end. We read in Genesis, in chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 27, that we were created by God in his likeness. It's very clear. And so God created man in his own image. And note, it says this, he created them male and female. Two genders. Not confused. The other point to note, and this is what Karen prayed and what we sang, is that God breathed the breath of life directly into man's nostrils, both man and woman. God simply created everything else but didn't breathe directly his breath, but he did into man and woman. And so you and I are recipients of the breath of God into our lives. That is what makes us different. That is what makes us a unique part of God's creation. God created all things, but for man and woman, he created us uniquely man and uniquely woman, and he breathed his breath into our nostrils so that we came alive to the breath of God. That is who we are. We are not some biological experiment that sort of flew into the universe from somewhere that just sort of popped up. We are God's creation and he made us defined man and woman and he breathed his breath into us and so we received the breath of God into our lungs, into our bodies. We came alive into and by God. No other way. It wasn't from some mystic creative sort of dreamer. It was God who brought life to us. And so we are his creation. Because God wanted us to be fully in his image, even to the breath we breathe. So we are truly, I believe, God's design. And his image for life was transmitted into us at that time. So the creator had a plan for how life is meant to be for you and me. Now, I'm not very bright. There are times when I run off on tangents. But if I stop and think about that for a moment... <coughs> If God, the creator, created me and he had a good idea for me as to how I'm going to live, I think it would be smart that I try to look at that plan and look at that way and say, you know what, that's probably smarter than the one I can work out because I couldn't create me. 
I can't create anything, but I can use the creative gifts that the Lord has given me. But we know that when we choose to be our own God and choose to not believe God and believe the other voice, the voice of the deceiver, who came and came and robbed mankind, man and woman, Adam and Eve, of that communion that was meant to be ours from the breath of God to us. He came and he snuck in and we gave our allegiance to him who was a created angel who fell in love with himself. Now, isn't that a picture of the world? So guess where the world gets its picture of falling in love with itself from? Not very bright, but I think it might be him. You see, the world is trying to create an image in a way that's going to cause the world to feel good about itself and it is destined for disaster. It cannot and will not ever bring life. It is only ever eventually going to bring death. No ifs, buts or otherwises. That is a fact. Satan is the father of lies. He serves his own agenda. He set himself up to want to draw the world to himself, to win us away from the one who's breathed life into us, who has for us truth and life and love as our way of living. He came according to what Jesus said to be the devourer. He, he takes us and wants to rob us of life, life in all its fullness. So where do we turn for the truth of who we are and how we are? And how we're meant to live. Well, Jesus said it in John 10. He said, I came to give you life in all its fullness. So if he's come to give us life in all its fullness, and he is God and the Son of God, and he's our Saviour and our Redeemer and our friend, and he said, come to me and I will give you life in all its fullness, again, you don't have to be really smart to work out that's a pretty good invitation. Is it not? Yeah. Whereas the other guy, he's going... Come on over here and let me show you how much fun this can be. Like what? Oh, just, you know, stuff. Like go for stuff. Last night I was at my oldest son's birthday party and he turns 50 this week. And one of the things about Pete is that um, he, he loves people. He's got myriads of friends. And one of the things that was said of Peter... I don't know how true it is, but it was said of him is that he doesn't care about stuff, he just cares about friends. Now, there's a lot of truth in that, but there's also a lot of truth in the fact that he cares about stuff too. But there's a big chunk of him that cares more about people and relationship than stuff. And I had the privilege of being able to make a short speech, and I did say that I, as a father, am very blessed that my three children, or our three children, have a faith in God. But the expression of that faith differs for each of them. But I know that they have a faith in God. And I know that God knows them and they know God. How they live that out is between them and God. But the, as a parent, my heart is glad that they know God. And on the way through life, they'll hear the voice of the enemy and they'll need to discern for themselves, is that you, Lord? And the definition of is it you, Lord, is when the answer is leading you away from communion with God, then it is not God's voice. 
Jesus spoke of a connection that he had with the Father here on earth. In John 5, 19, he says, I can only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus had this intimate connection with the Father, such on this earth that he was communicating with his Father in heaven. And so he followed in what the life plan of expression as a human person on this earth was going to bring honour and blessing to God. So the true you is someone who has the truth told to you directly by Jesus and includes an invitation to be eternally alive to God the Father through Jesus the Son in the power of the Spirit who brings you this new life. One of the most beautiful pictures of that is John 17 where Jesus cries out to the Father at the end of his earthly ministry and I want to read you some of John 17. I'm reading out of the NIV. Jesus had just finished saying, and this is interesting, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. This is the end of chapter 16. In this world you will have trouble. Hello? But take heart, he says. Why? Because I, says Jesus, have overcome the world. So the word has overcome the world. Jesus has defeated the powers of darkness that are released through the enemy's hold over the world. You get that? Again, it's, it's, it's simple. And yet the battle is real and we get drifting away into listening to voices that want to tell us how life should look and how it should be. And we should accept things that are inconsistent with what we believe is truth from what has been revealed to us in Jesus and through Jesus. I'm not saying that, in fact, one of the people I met last night I hadn't seen for a long time and they said to me, you know, they said, one of the things about you is you don't judge people. I said, no, I don't. I share truth, but I don't judge their reaction. That's entirely up to them how they respond to what I say is what I believe is true. And that gives people an opportunity to review for themselves what you're saying. And they can either see it's truth because of how you live out what you're saying or they can go, oh, I'm not so sure. And again, that's between them and their God. Hopefully our God. But they need to do their own homework beyond us speaking truth. You see, it does not help someone to agree with a lie. Sometimes it's confronting. But it doesn't help someone to agree with something that you totally believe is a lie according to what the word of God would say. Now, you're not meant to bash them over the head with your Bible. That doesn't work. But it's like, are you sure? Why, why do you think that? How, how, where do you get that truth from? It's reasonable to have a dialogue that is a non-judgmental dialogue in this time, in this earth. Because we are the ones that have been commissioned by Jesus to carry the light and truth into the world and not to be sucked into its shape but to be, be true to the shape that we're called to. John 17, Jesus says these words, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. You see, Jesus 
is wanting to bring honor and glory to the Father. He says, for you granted him, he's speaking of himself, you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life, that we would know the Father and that we would know Jesus and we would know the Father through Jesus. And when that happens, we enter into eternal life. It's not something that we wait until we die to get to. It begins in our relationship with God. So the true you is one who has been told this truth. So what's it look like for you? Well, for each of us, there'd be a different answer, I'm sure. As we reflect upon this question from our experience of life and its storms and its events and the things that are happening to us now, the problem for us is we are encouraged to look at life from our perspective. Now, I want you to hear this. We are encouraged to look at life from our perspective of what we have embraced from what we have been taught, flavoured through the prism of the world. We're taught, is, how's life for you? And we reflect upon it in relation to what we think the picture of life is meant to look like from what the world would tell us. I was talking before, I remember 17 years ago, I was in America in a meeting and we were having a conversation about, uh, this is before iPhones. 17 years ago, there were no iPhones in the earth, believe it or not. And we were having this conversation about how to use text messages to get university students to buy pizzas from a pizza shop in Atlanta, Georgia. And the, and, the, and the company that owned the, the telecom company, they were all excited and were going to pay this guy gazillions of dollars because he'd worked out a way to make it happen that these uni students could get a text and they'd take the text to the pizza shop and it would say, give them a pizza at a discount. You know, pretty much that's what it was. Now we get an app and we go bang and it all happens. 17 years, so much has changed. But at that time, that was, that was something really dramatic and the whole world was changing because we could send text messages to get discounted pizzas. Think about it. I think nearly all of my grandchildren have been born before iPhones came. <laughs> you know, it's 10 years, isn't it, that iPhones have been out? Well, my oldest, youngest grandchild is 11 or 12. How old is Jonathan? 11. You know, it's, it's kind of like the world is moving at such a pace and we're told, we are told, if we haven't got an iPhone or a smartphone that, you know, we don't count. In fact, you don't, just thought I'd mention that. But, <laughs> but it's, it's a part of how we connect in the world. And so we have to be aware that the world is saying you've got to be like this and sometimes we need to be engaging that way. But we need to be careful that we don't let it tell us how life is meant to be for us. There's tools that are good, but that's not what it's all about. The tools are good. What it's all about is different. And that reminds me, <clears throat> because what, the, what I started out by saying is, what's life meant to be about? How is it meant to be? And I looked up a, a song that I'd never really looked at the words before. Um, What's it all about, Alfie? It was a movie about 20 years ago, which, or 30 years ago, or 40 years ago, I don't know, 40 years ago? Yeah, it's a while ago. Anyway, 
And, and in this song, there were lyrics that were written by Bert Baccarat and Hal David. Now, might be a clue, but both those guys are Jewish or from Jewish backgrounds. And Bert Baccarat's name, this is a little freebie on the side, his middle name is Freedom. Bert Freedom Baccarat. He's still alive, he's in his late 80s. Now, I think he was born like around about the Second World War. I think his parents named him Freedom because they knew that there was a time coming when that wasn't going to be really for the Jewish people. Pretty fascinating, the little asides that you find when you do a little bit of research. Anyway, the song and the words of the song include, Alfie, if you... Hang on, let me find it. I've got them written down here somewhere. Um, there's, two, there's two lines in it that says, Oh, yeah. I believe in love, Alfie. Without true love, we just exist, Alfie. Until you find the love you've missed, you're nothing, Alfie. Now, you know. So what the... And, and they said that this love is something that even non-believers... And that's in the words of the song, and I never knew that. I'd heard it many, many times. Dion Warwick sang it. You know, I'm showing my age here. But... But in the words, there's actually words written about love and that meaning, that, that brings life. Now, what happens though is that we interpret love in a different way and we look at love about what's in it for us. And that's what that song does. The picture of love in the Bible is the other way around. The picture of love from God is that his love is a giving love. His love is not a love that is looking for something back. His love is giving. And when we love the way God created us to love, ours is a giving love. Now, does it elicit a response? Yes. But the reason we do it is because we just want to love on the person. We just want to love on God because that's what he does to us. The people of God, the church, have been struggling with the question of how we meant to look and who are we for a long time. And so, I, again, as I was going through this, it was like, well, how do you find out what God's saying about what life's meant to be about? Well, we go to the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God has been revealed to us in what we call the Bible. The whole counsel of God plus the Holy Spirit will show us how we're meant to live and what life is meant to look like. Now... I don't know about you, but um, I've read it all, read it all a number of times. But have I actually sat down and worked out from A to Z what the whole counsel of God says about life? Well, thankfully, back in the 1600s, there were some theologians that did that, and they called it uh, uh, the Westminster... Well, they, they arrived at a Westminster catechism. Now, a catechism is a question-answer, Q and an A. And they came up with... In 1646, I think it was, they came up with a definition of what, and it was called, what is the chief end of man? What is man's, why are we created? This is the question. Why are we created? And they worked out from the whole counsel of God. If you go and Google all of the scriptures that they used at that meeting, at that synod, as they called it, there's pages, there's reams of scripture that they've used. They've used the whole counsel of God to come up with this, the short catechism, the short Westminster Catechism, which says 
The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's what we're meant to be. We're meant to be enjoyers of God. Worship God and enjoy him. Not be in fear of him. Not be, I'm not sure about you, God. Enjoy God. Enjoy. Now, we sang two songs this morning. Breathe on me. The Spirit of God breathes on us. God breathed into our lungs to give us life. And we sang the worship song, I'm here to worship you. And it was, as we worship, we are giving glory to God. And by worshipping God, we enter into this place where we can enjoy God. Do you enjoy God every day? It's not something that we're invited into very often. We're rather told, well, you know, have you made God happy? Well... Yeah, I have. I try to. But there's more to it than that. It's enjoying God. And the way we enjoy God is to be in this communion with him. Through Jesus, we're brought into this happy dance. Father, Son, Holy Spirit and me and Father, Son, Holy Spirit and you. And it's meant to be a happy dance. It's meant to be a time of enjoyment. Not a time of not quite sure about this relationship, the way it's working. It's determined by God. He created us to be in the dance with him, to enjoy him forever. You getting it? It's, it's, it kind of, it, it argues with what the picture often is how we're meant to relate to God. But we're meant to relate in this way of joy. So the whole counsel of God says that we're meant to be in this relationship with God that brings life to us in Corinthians ten thirty one, we go whatever you do do it all for the glory of God so when we do that we're praising God we're worshiping him we're bringing glory to him and then we can enjoy him at the same time it's awesome the main game is that you and I should enjoy God if that becomes our focus it sort of washes away all the other bright ideas that the world might bring along because God is above all of that, and he wants to have a relationship with you and me of enjoyment. Now, what is enjoy? the definition of enjoy? It's a verb, by the way. It's an action word. Um, take pleasure in. Have benefit from. In other words, God wants us to benefit from the relationship of joy that we have as we enjoy him. It's not a, it's not a strict set of rules that you've got to bend this way, look that way, stand there, sit there. That, none of that. It's enjoy God. Take delight in God as he takes delight in you. It takes a long time. It took a long time for me to get my head around this. It really did. I'm, I'm telling you because I grew up in a way of understanding that God was fairly deliberate about how I meant to live. You know, there's a lot of rules in the book. That's fine. But when I put the rules ahead of enjoyment, and I'm, I'm not talking about inappropriate enjoyment because that's what the world would want to invite me to. I'm talking about a wholesome relationship with a living God who I can have fun with. I get a lot of laughs out of the Lord. I know he gets plenty out of me, but I get a lot of laughs from him when I'm out walking with him in the morning. You know, the other day I was walking along and I was having a bit of a tough time and I said, oh, it's all yours, Lord. I can't sort this out. And then I just walked along and laughed for about five minutes. And, you know, God seemed to enjoy it because I was enjoying him. So we're meant to enjoy him. 
There's an, an article that is in, written by uh, the authors of a book, um, and, and it's about um, enjoying the Lord. And one of the, little, one of the pieces of it reads as follows. Often we don't allow ourselves to go to this place of communion. We've never stilled our spirits for long enough. We've never surrendered our souls. Never let go of intellectual control. Never left the safety of the physical world. We may have to risk sounding discordant. We may have to risk looking the fool. But I dare not risk never finding a place of deep connection. If we do not dare, we risk never falling into the pure whiteness, never knowing the glory of God's light and love. Just think about that. We're meant to fall into this place of relying upon the love of God. Jesus put it right for us with the Father. We're meant to live in a space of communion with God. Jesus shows us how. He's prayed that we would be able to be in that place. As we were praying and worshipping this morning, it was like, come Holy Spirit. Lord, not because we are worthy, but because you want to come and you want to bless us. That's the God that we have enjoyment with. And, you know, we keep getting in the road of it by wanting to control outcomes. We keep getting in the road of it by wanting to negotiate with God about some of the things that the world might be offering. We keep missing the mark when we do that. I'm not, I'm not wanting to leave a message with you today that says that we have to go out and be God's policemen. That's not who we are. We are not meant to be God's policemen. We are meant to be Jesus' ambassadors, which is ambassadors of love to a broken, hurting world. And that we can only do if we stay in this place of communion with Jesus because then we're going to reflect him into the world, not our own good ideas. But be aware, be aware, it's a battle. The world wants to keep taking us to its place of what it believes is right. So we need to live life to the max with Jesus. And then we get maximum joy, we get maximum love, we get maximum peace, we get maximum patience, we get maximum kindness, we get maximum goodness, maximum faithfulness, maximum gentleness, maximum self-control. That one's a bit hard. But we get it if we're in relation with him. And so we need to trust him and his good idea for our lives. So that's the picture of what life is meant to be like for you and me in the kingdom of God. How are you doing in that? Have we let the world rob us of our place of enjoyment with God? Have we let the busyness of life sort of take us away from that place of peace with Jesus and through him with the Father? It, it happens. I'm not, I'm not sort of saying bad person, bad person, bad person. I'm saying that happens, but that's not the best for us. And the best for us is what God has for us, that we would walk in this place of enjoying him. And it starts right now. Jesus said, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. He's speaking to the Father, John 17. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. 
I've revealed you to those you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they've obeyed your word now that they know that everything you've given me comes from you. Jesus goes on and he prays for those who would believe because of the ones that were there. And that's you and me. We believe because of those that have gone before us. I am coming to you now, Jesus says in verse 13, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus wants us to have the full measure of his joy in us that he has with the Father. Now, that is awesome stuff. And that's what the enemy wants to take away from us. He works at it every day to take away from us that joy of relationship with Jesus and through Jesus with the Father. Are you in a battle for that? I am every day. Every day the enemy wants to rob me of that enjoyment with God. But we have the authority to tell the enemy we can give him the flick, which was the... I remember last time I sang the WA Flick and Company ad? Anyway, I won't do it again. But it's like we can tell the enemy, go away, leave me alone. I belong to Jesus, get out of my life, stop harassing me today. I want to have this time with my Lord and Saviour, so be gone. It's one of the few times I come close to swearing when I'm dealing with the enemy. Because he is just very annoying as well as very deliberate. So don't think that you're a bad person because you're being harassed. You're being harassed because the enemy doesn't want you to live in this place of enjoying God. Okay? Now today is a good day to say, if you haven't done it before, away from me, Satan. Leave me alone. Stop harassing me. I don't want you to interfere with my day today. This is my day with Jesus, so go away. Go away. You can say that and you have authority to say that and you can walk then in this enjoyment with God. This is, this is not, hey, it's not rocket science, but it's not something to ignore because that is how the enemy gets us away from our enjoyment with God, gets us away from the whole reason God created us. God created us for us to enjoy him as he enjoys us. I love it when I have these conversations with God where we both laugh at one another. Well, I don't laugh at him, I laugh with him. He laughs at me, and I enjoy those little times of fun stuff. There's other times when I have to be very deliberate about saying, Holy Spirit, will you help me? The, the, the enemy's really messing with my head today. I just need to get my head right. Lord, help me here. And then I realise, get away from me, Satan. Now, it's a, in saying that, I'm not actually speaking always to Satan. I'm speaking to the tormenting spirits that are around me. So I don't actually always use the name of Satan. I just tell the darkness and the tormenting spirits to leave me alone. Because Satan is a, is a, is, is a one spirit. He's not omnipresent, but he has a whole lot of offsiders that are out messing with our lives. And it's the offsiders. And we don't have to name them. We don't have to say spirit of this or spirit of that. We just tell tormenting spirits, go. I used to think when I first started in the deliverance ministry I had to know the name of the spirit I worked out after a long time that was a waste of time because the enemy had me worrying about his name while he's busy picking on this person in the end it was like you out whoever you claim to be you're not from Jesus get out and they have to go 
You don't have to call them by their name. Sometimes you get a name, but not always. And when I'm being harassed, sometimes the Lord gives me a name, sometimes I don't. That is how we're meant to walk this out, this life. And stay in that place of sweet communion. And how do we do that? As a suggestion, worship songs. Songs of worship connect us with our heart to the Father. Worship, music seems to cut through. I, I mean, one of the scriptures, well, sometimes we say that uh, I, I was taught, I've read that Satan was the worship leader in heaven. It doesn't actually say that in the scripture. But worship was a big part of what he was part of because he was made most glorious by God. And there was worship that was around the throne always and Satan was part of that. He was, he was a cherub that was a, a guardian cherub. So he was, he was right up front and personal with God. But then he decided he wanted to be bigger and better and smarter and it, it was pride that caused him to fall. So, But worship is a very integral part of how we come to be in this place of enjoying God forever. And so if you can let music touch your spirit and commune with God that way, it begins to open up our flow of enjoyment to God. Now, for different people, it's different things. Kirk shared the story of um, Chariots of Fire. Um, what was his name, the runner? Hey, Eric Little, yes, Eric Little. He, he found enjoyment with God when he was running. That was his place of special connection with God. Yours might be when you're cooking the meal. Not me, maybe you. I, I can, one of the things that uh, I remember was um, <clears throat> Charles and John Wesley's mother. She used to throw her apron up over her face when she was in the family because she had bunches of kids. And when they saw her apron over her face, they knew to leave her alone because that was her time with God. That was the way she found some peace from all the kids. She went, put the apron up over her face. Women wore aprons in those days. And, and she, that was cut, cut her off from the rest of the interruptions and she could then have a time with God. I don't know whether she still dexterously did things with her hands at the same time as not seeing. I don't know that. But she found her place of connection with God that way. Find a place of connection. Find a way of connection, whether it's just walking and talking or whether it's sitting quietly, but find a way to connect. It really, really, really is important. And then in that place of connection, begin to enjoy God. And then it will become more and more a part of how you have your communion with God. And when you find it hard, you know that there's someone trying to disturb you. And even though it may be one of your children... It's usually the enemy behind the disturbance because he doesn't want you to enjoy Jesus and the Father. So this morning the Lord said to me, just leave it on the basis that we know that the world wants to shape us, but the word is the way to live in this place of enjoying God forever. Amen? Yeah, okay. There's two things I'd like to do. One is I'd like to pray with you to get rid of any interruptions that want to harass you. There's, there's some sort of interruptions that are persistent and consistent in each of our lives. The Lord said to deal with those this morning.
and that that is where each time you want to have communion with God, there's interruptions come. And if you struggle to have this intimacy with God, um, then the Lord wants to give us the key this morning to be more able to step into that place more readily. So if you do have that struggle of being able to step into a place of communion with God easily, why don't you be bold and stand and we can pray for you. Right now it would be good. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's that this is what happens and the enemy's been messing with your headspace. We've got some other things to pray for too, but I want to do this first. So, Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters that are seeking to find this place of communion with you without the enemy's harassment. And so, Lord, bless each one of them as they stand here before you now. And, Lord, I thank you that we have authority to stand with them and to declare freedom for them. And so in the name of Jesus, for each one of you this morning, I just declare freedom in Jesus' name. I declare freedom from the harassing of the darkness that wants to interrupt the full connection that is yours, rightfully yours in Jesus Christ. And every interrupting spirit and activity of the darkness, I tell you, these are the saints of God and they are not to be harassed by you anymore as they seek to come into their place of space with Jesus. And Lord, would you also give them, Holy Spirit, plant in them a trigger that when the enemy comes and wants to harass, that you will ignite that and you will remind them that they can say, get away from me and leave me alone. Stop harassing me in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, we plant that in each of them now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Bless you guys. I trust that you will find it much easier and much more pleasant and pleasurable as you inter inter interact with God. There's some other things the Lord had on his heart this morning and as we met out in the back. Um, for words of knowledge for people to be healed.